If you have a Bible, let's grab it and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to kind of piggyback on where I ended last week. Uh, last week we talked about the return of Christ and kind of what that's going to look like. And if you missed it, you can catch up on it on our YouTube channel or on Spotify or however you listen to podcasts. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to answer one question. In light of the return of Christ, um, how do we live like it is the end? So in light of the return of Christ, how then are we as believers to live our lives? Okay, just simple question. In fact, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it with you this morning. Uh, It's just a question that I want us to think practically about. Paul is writing his, to his boy Timothy. It is the end of Paul's ministry or, or near the end of Paul's ministry. And so Paul is thinking in terms of and in, on the same line of the end. Now, kind of a play on words because it's the actual end of the year. But I'm talking about a grander end that will one day take place. And so in light of that, how do we live as Believers. Paul's going to answer that question for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, one of these verses is going to be incredibly familiar to you, but I'd love to just expand upon it and give you some context. 2 Timothy is near the end of the Bible, chapter 3, and hear God's word. So understand this, Paul writes, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, showing off we in the last days, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be the plan to all, will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecuted persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Last two verses. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father, again, we just say thank you for a new day. Thank you for all that you have done. You've been so incredibly faithful. Yet I know in our, my heart, in all of our hearts, we always ask that question, but are you going to be faithful in 2024? And the resounding answer, the inevitable answer, the only answer is you've been faithful for 41 years of my life. I know you won't stop. God, thank you for your word, your word that brings life and that it breathes life on us. We pray, God, that you would allow all of us to see Jesus clearly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Paul here is describing his particular time. But if you notice when that first verse, when it says, in the last days, he's given us a description of also that sounds eerily familiar to what today sounds like. In fact, I would suggest, and I always often say this, that we are 2,000 years removed from the word of God being audibly written to us. And it would appear, to me at least, that not a single thing in society has changed. Now, you may say, well, technology has advanced and on and on. And I say, yes, to that I agree. But the condition of the human heart, the depravity of man, nothing has changed. Paul gave you that list, and some of you were already thinking of people that described this list of 19 vices that plagued Paul's society then and plagued today. And whenever we look around the world and we see all these things, it is the question of, well, this answers that, yes, we are in the last days. In fact, I would suggest, as I have often suggested to you, that upon Jesus' ascension into heaven, we entered an eros, an era of the last days. Now, then some of you, again, like I always say and suggest this, say, well, are we in the end of the end of the last days? And to you, I say, I don't know. Neither do you. Nobody knows. But we have these signs of this is what it looks like. And so Paul is writing to his boy Timothy because Paul is at this end of his proverbial life, right? I mean, his life is almost over. He's going to close this chapter, uh, close this letter off, send it out to Timothy, spend a little bit more time in prison. And what's the end? Paul's demise. So Paul is literally talking about his last days. But again, Paul is also talking about the last days, the last days. And so what Paul is doing then in throughout all these 17 verses is he's given us this sort of idea. What does it look like for the believer to live in the last days? How are we? To govern ourselves? How are we to conduct ourselves? How are we to live in light of what Paul said that we are in the last days? Now, the last days may terrify some of you. For some, it doesn't. 
Because if your eschatology is that of victory, then it doesn't terrify you. So Paul is saying, in light of the victory that awaits us, in light of the glorious return of Christ, how then are we to live? That's the question that I want to leave us with in 2023 that would propel us into the new year and how are we going to be defined as a church? Refuge City Church, are we going to be defined in Cedar City? We're going to be defined in these four ways that Paul gives us. How are we to live in light of Christ's glorious return? That's the question. The first, the first thing is we foddle, foddle. We follow but this is harder than it appears, all right? I may come up here and just like just word vomit on you every Sunday, but it's hard, okay? We follow the model. I'm going to say that slowly. Follow the model. Look what he says in verse 10. You, Timothy, you church, you, you church that, that Timothy is overseeing, you church in Cedar City, However, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. So notice what Paul did. He switches from there were 19, I counted 19 vices or 19 wicked sins that kind of uh, identify the culture around them. And then he switches and he gives us about nine different virtues. My teaching. That's a virtue. My conduct, that's a, that's a virtue. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And even like, look at this virtue. My persecution. Now, ain't never one of y'all ever said that that's the virtue. Okay? But Paul here is listing out some virtues that identify, like, listen, this is the model that I have brought before you, Timothy. I want you to follow it. I want you to follow it, Timothy. Paul is basically saying, copy me. Not that we're putting Paul on a pedestal and like he's the savior of everything. No, Paul is just saying like this, like he said in 2 Corinthians, follow me as I what? As I follow Christ. I'm on this journey. I'm pursuing after holiness. I'm pursuing after the Lord. I'm pursuing after the way of Christ. And as I pursue after him, I want you to follow me in that pursuit. That's simple. That's all that Paul is saying. Now, your kids may say the opposite, right? There's always a dispute in little children. And the dispute is never, please copy me. What's the dispute? He's copying me right? Isn't that the dispute? And if you're a really good parent like myself, you, you continue the copying and you, ag and you agonize, like you antagonize the copying, right? My children will need therapy, but that's neither here nor there. Stop copying me. Well, Paul is saying the opposite. Copy me. I'm on a pursuit to Christ. And in my pursuit to Christ, I want you to follow me. We're in this journey together on this pursuit of holiness towards Christ. And I would even say, like, as I, as a, as a teaching pastor here, like, I hope that I'm a model that you can also follow. I, I, would, I would hope that, that Dan as a pastor, Robin as a pastor, that we are models so that you can follow us as we follow Christ, not that we are the Savior of the world, because I make a terrible Savior. I make a horrible God, right? 
I mean, I can't even find half the things I'm looking for in the morning. So I'm not your savior. I cannot save you, but you can follow me in my pursuit as I attempt to model this way. And here's the challenge for you. So some of you are like, well, that's just the pastor's job. And that's just, you know, the, the, uh, the, this is my smugness coming out, right? Uh, that's just the, uh, the, the ministry leader's job. It's not my job. No, the challenge is for you also. How are you going to model Christ to other people in 2024? Can you say in the language of Paul, model me, follow me, and then some of you are like, man, that's a heavy weight that I don't think I can bear. You are a believer in Christ. How do we live life like it's the end? We model a life to the culture around us that's worth following. And he gives all these, uh, these virtues uh, that, that go along with it. And, and I'll get into those in just a moment. Now, now the, other, the other answer here. How do we live like the end? Well, you have to also understand that there's a risk. All right? It's not a sign up today and, you know, Betty Sue going to give you the pound cake and, and the whole church is going to come over to your house and celebrate and we're all just going to live like a, you know, a commune life and, and celebration and butterflies. And there's going to be rainbows everywhere and it's just going to be a glorious life. It's just going to be so fantastic. Sign up now and you receive all these benefits. It's not that. It's follow Christ and there may and there will, actually may ain't even a part of it, and there will be persecution. Understand the risk of following Christ. How do we live a life in the end? We understand the risk. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, when I think of persecution, I often think of like what's kind of happening in the world around us. In, in fact, I mentioned this a couple of months ago. Uh, research suggests that 11 Christians are killed for their faith every single day. One in seven Christians will be persecuted every single day in some shape or form. <laughs> Now, who's going to raise their hands and say, man, I hear this on the news all the time? Nobody. You know why? Because it doesn't fit the narrative of the news. Think about it. Did anybody hear about the Armenians who had to flee their land just a few months ago because some Islamic terrorist regime was taking over and just doing a genocidal bloodbath? Nobody heard about that. Listen to me very carefully. Christianity is the most. This isn't Matthew making up something. I just picked this up because it fit my sermon really good because I love making up information. This is truth. Christianity today is the most persecuted religion in the world. In Nigeria on Christmas Eve, thugs came through a village and massacred 200 Christians. That wasn't in 1840 or, you know, 1639. That was 2023 this is happening. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, this is America. We ain't going to do that here. Honey, we're on the verge of it here. And if COVID taught you anything, it taught you about government overreach in California and other states where pastors are being imprisoned because they said no to the tyrants. 
Now, some of you is like, well, that's, you know, I'm not losing my life. Listen, persecution comes in all shapes and forms. And I've used this analogy before, but one day, one stupid day, all right, it was a stupid day. I was chasing my children. should never been chasing around my children in the dining room because there's metal chairs. And I banged my toe and broke it. That sucker looked disgustingly black. Now, some of you view American persecution like that. Brother, I was on my rear end in agonizing pain. All right? And don't you look at me like, well, I'm a man. I'll take it. Brother, I'll break your toe right now. We'll see how much of a man you are. You'll be crying on the floor. My toe! And you know, it's going to look like this. And it's really awkward. And then like three months later, I broke another toe. Anyway, I'm digressing. Persecution may be like that for American. You may lose a friend. You may lose a, a job opportunity. You may lose a different type of opportunity. Hear me. That's also Christian persecution. And it's not you. Never take offense, okay? It is not you. Culture around you is not against you. They are against the God inside of you. They are hostile to a king that demands their authority. And, and that, that answers the question, well, why is there so much persecution? Because no one wants a king. They want to be the king. That's, that's what they want. No one wants to be, have a king to where every person will bow their knee to. Yet there is a king right now who is ruling and reigning. And so the answer to that, there's persecution. There's people who have this idea of, uh, of, who are hostile to God. And yet in their hostility, it's not you. It's the God that you serve. How do we live like it's the end? That's the question. We have to understand that there's a risk to following Christ. We also have to understand that there, there's, a, there's a call on you to endure. There's a call on you to don't give up. Look at verse number 14 and 15. Look what Paul says. It's like this exhortation, like continue, but for you, continue. Keep going in what you have learned. Watch this now. What are, we, what, are we, what are we not giving up on? In what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted, watch this, with the sacred writings which you are able to be to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's faced a ton of crazy stuff. More crazy stuff than probably all of us combined would probably face. But Paul has faced it. And he's telling Timothy, writing this letter to Timothy, be passed around in churches, continues to be <laughs> passed around in churches 2,000 years later, and his exhortation for them, how do we live like it's the end? We continue, we persevere, we endure. And the question then, what are we continuing in? It's the word of God. I like, I like how he uses the word, this sacred teaching, this sacred writing that you are taught I love that he uses the word sacred. Sacred is just giving this awe to, right? Whenever you see this, the word sacred, that's something that we're giving the highest awe to, right? It's, it's, it demands the highest reverence for. And so what is that? It's the word of God. 
it, how, how, how do we live life like it is the end? We remain in awe. We continue to be in awe of God's holy word. That, that's what it looks like. That God's word is what is driving every decision we're doing. God's word is the truth that we'll stand on. God's holy word. It is the sacredness of it. You know, we, we esteem awe and reverence to a lot of things. I mean, some of y'all be esteeming some, some aweness and reverence to celebrities, political powers, and governments. And those things will fail you quickly. I wonder what it would look like if we were a church who would say, we're going to be in awe, we're going to reverence, hold God's word to the highest. Study it. Read it. And some of you think, like, man, this seems overwhelming. I don't even read the word. I don't even know where to start. Well, get plugged into a small group, okay? That's my plug-in for you. You're welcome. Now, look what else, look what else he says. What else does it mean to live like it's the end, okay? This is the last thing. We obey the word. So not only are we keeping the word of God, continuing being steadfast in the word of God, we're obeying the word. And so he gave us this very popular passage that we love to toss around. Look what he says. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Remember context here, right? There's challenges. There's wolves out there. There's all this stuff trying to infiltrate the church. Culture trying to make the church look like culture. Paul says, you got to stand firm. Continue in the word. Obey the word of God. This God-breathed word. Not that just God, remember God, how God breathed his life or breath into Adam. Adam came to life. So that then, this is why the word is so good for us. That the word is breath to our lungs. It gives us life. It reveals to us who we really are outside of Christ. And shows us a better future. That's why we're standing on the word. Look else what the word of God does and why we are to obey it. He says it completes us so that you, Timothy, might be completed. This word complete means to be, be fit to be in fit shape. That's one of your resolutions, right? Don't make it. You'll fail. I'm here to encourage you, right? It's, it's to be in, like you are being fitted for something. Like you are being trained for something. Your body is being uh, subjected to do something. That's where he's talking about to be complete so that, our, so that we will be subjected to or we will be fitted to handle what's happening around in culture. That's why the word of God is so important. Because all the lies that are happening around us, and listen, it's not going to get better. Folks be loving a lie on these days, right? And there'll be more lies poured out upon you as we progress into 2024. But hear the word of the Lord. You are completed in the word of God. It is what completes you. Not the lies of the enemies. Timothy says, live 
like it's the last day. Now, we know Christ didn't return in, in, in Timothy's day. Paul died, Christ didn't return. Timothy died, Christ didn't return. And so the message then is still clear for us. If, if he's telling Timothy, this is what you look, this is what it looks like to follow. Like in the last days, here is what you need to be notable for. Here's what you need to be known for. Live like it's the end. And here's how we live like it's the end. We follow the model. We follow people as they were following Christ. What does that look like for us in a tangible way, in a lower uh, bird's eye view? This is discipleship. This is getting into groups. This is getting into the body of Christ. This isn't just coming here on a Sunday on the random occasion that it makes you feel good so that you can just check it off your list. No, this is so that you come in here and you belong with a group of people. All right, this is not me like pushing for membership or anything like that. This is essential to your growth. Hear me very carefully. Nobody does it really well when they're isolated on an island. Nobody does it well. I mean, unless you're Paul stuck in prison, but ain't never one of y'all Paul, okay? I mean, it, this is essential for you. That you are a part, you follow the model, and how we do that is we belong to people, that we are in this together. Just, just a couple of, of things, and I think I'll, I'll just be out the way, and then I want to just, I want to spend a little bit of time in prayer as we close out this year. Just some questions I want you to write down, and I want you to think about for your own self, as you are a part of this church, as we continue just to as pastors, as we, we just continue to like just envision like what, what is it going to look like for us in a couple of years? Because I, I promise you, I don't want to be stuck in this theater. You know, God willing, if that's my persecution, I'll, I'll take it kicking and screaming. But, but I, I, this is not what we envision for our church in a few years. And so we're asking these questions like, what does God want for us as a body of Christ? And I want you to think about this practically. What does God want from me? And the, and the first question is, will you model Christ Will you model Christ to someone? Just think about one person. Who can you model Christ to? And not only who can you model Christ to, but who can you share Christ with? All right, because, because there's a huge difference. Because some of us are like, well, I can... <laughs> I got this good life down, okay? Like I can, I can live a good life and, and just let that be. But listen, that's not the end all. It's not just living a good life and please live the good life. Please model Christ, all right? I would even suggest to you, and like this may be a kick in the shins for some of you, like if you're known as the jerk in your community, as the big, you know, this is where I insert a euphemism. I'm going to try not to. I'm going to do better in 24, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is where people know you as the, the, the town turd, right? And, and I, I would just suggest, like, man, I, don't, I don't know if you're really following Christ. If that's what you're known for. So it is imploring. It is, an, it is Paul saying, listen, you've got to model the way. And some of you think about that in your own life. Like, how can I be better at modeling Christ to other people? But it doesn't end there. It continues. Then also, how can I share Christ with others? Who, who in my life, who in my community do I need to share Christ with? 
Thirdly, is, is will you devote to the word of God? At the end of John Calvin's life, when he, when he went back to Geneva to pastor his church, he writes and he says that as I go back to my church, I'm doing this so that they would become creatures of the word. I just, that is, I just love that. Like some of you are like, wait a minute, you just quoted John Calvin. What's wrong with you? I did. And I think I quote him almost every week. Listen, that's my prayer for us. That we would become creatures of the word. And the reason why this is so important, and the reason why this was important in Calvin's day, in Luther's day, and in Timothy's day, and in Paul's day, is because the lie of the enemy continues to reverberate as it did in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And that lie is simply this, did God really say? And that lie continues throughout some four, five, six thousand years later. There's no new strategy of Satan. Like his, you know, he didn't do well in, in, in the school of strategy because he thought, well, I got one strategy. Actually, he did really well in the school of strategy because the one strategy he has seems to continue to be working among a lot of people. And the strategy is, if I can get you to challenge the word of God, if I can get you to think, did God really say that? Is that what it really means? Is that what it's really saying there? Oh, and the Bible is just archaic, and the Bible is just irrelevant, and, and you know, they're just uh, talking to a bunch of old ancient people that are all dead. It, it reminds me of the, 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 the lady that came into our church just a year and a half ago, and, and she, she asked me some questions. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What does your church stand on this? And I looked at her, and I said, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is in the Bible. And I'm not, I'm not going to spit out like Matthew's opinions. I'm going to go back to what does the word of God say. And here's what she said. I am disappointed that you said that. Because the Bible is no longer relevant to today. And I, 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 I bit my tongue. Because I have a southern person that's not so holy in me that comes out. And I, and I said, I'm... I'm I, I feel really bad that you feel this way. God judges my heart also, so there's that. So. <laughs> Will you devote to the word? Do you feel the urgency now? It's not just, oh, well, I just read my one verse a day. No. In a culture that is, that is screaming out, God didn't really mean that. God didn't say that. Well, you guys are just a bunch of archaic people living this weird life. Again, the challenge is, is they hate the Christ that we serve. They hate the word that we stand on. And lastly, I think the, the inevitable question, or the inevitable exhortation maybe, is don't give up. When, when, you know, when somebody in this room may say something to you that kind of jostles you a little bit and rubs you the wrong way, are you going to give up? Oh, well, they hurt my feelings. I'm going to take my toys and run. Well, honey, grow up, all right? Ain't no perfect person in this room. That means that somebody's inevitably going to say something 
right? I'm not giving them the excuse or the green light to do it. We're just all flawed folks up in here, all right? I'm going to say something because sometimes I have diarrhea of the mouth. See, I just did it, right? Sometimes I may say something and I just get really fast and my words just come out and and the cart gets before the horse sometimes. Anyway, I can't believe he said that and just get up and walk out. In fact, that's happened twice in just the past year. And I'm just, you know, watching them awkwardly. I'm like, are you done? Okay, thank bye. And, and so, listen, the question is, am I going to give up? God is doing something here. And it's worth fighting for. It's worth contending for. God is doing something in Cedar City. It is worth fighting for. It's worth contending for. May we all be Christians with thick skin. And that's my prayer. I got four prayers I want you to write down. And, and as you, if you write this down, I don't, I hope you will. That in, in, you, in your prayer time, when you go to the Lord, maybe your commute or whatever, when you just find some time to get along with the Lord, I got four prayers that I want you to pray specifically for our church. And this is how we're going to end today and how I want to pray that, that God will elevate Refuge City as a model to Cedar City. That's my first prayer. I was just kind of thinking through these, this, as I was envisioning, like, oh, what, do you, what do you want for your church? What is, what is it that you want for the city, and that's the first prayer, that God would elevate this church as a model to Cedar City so that we can say, hey, follow us as we follow Christ. The second prayer is that God will give us more opportunities to share Christ. God will give us more opportunities to share Christ. The, the third prayer is that we would be creatures of the word. That we'll be creatures of the word. And my fourth prayer is that we'll all live like it's the end. That we'll all live like it's the end. Let's pray.